0: Hey, Being at Work listeners, now is the time. Time to take your leadership journey to the next level with HRD's Leadership Growth Forum. If you're listening to this show, it's clear that you're committed to growing as a leader. So imagine a monthly experience where you not only get to learn, but also explore and connect with other leaders like you. Each month, we dive deep into a different leadership focus, building coaching skills, holding team members accountable, demonstrating empathy, creating a psychologically safe environment, and others. This isn't your average leadership event. It's a tailored experience for leaders who are ready to make a real impact. Join us for this incredible opportunity and secure your spot. Visit hrdleadership.com forward slash B-A-W. Because your growth as a leader is a journey worth investing in. Hey, Being at Work listeners. Welcome back to another episode. This is your host, Andrea Butcher. Something that you don't know, a little behind the scenes intel for you. Whenever I hop on to Riverside, which is the tool that we use to record these shows, I always spend a few minutes connecting with the guests and saying hello. And one of the things that I always do is I always set an intention based on the preparation work that we've done for the show, based on what I know of the guest and their story. I set an intention. And as I was doing that today with today's guest, I was immediately flooded with all kinds of emotion and got very tearful in my connecting with her because This show is all about our humanness at work, and what you'll hear in her story is how this pivotal time in her life led her to completely reshape how work shows up in her life. Her being at work today looks much different than it did even just a few years ago. So we're welcoming today Liz Pavese. She's a senior business psychologist at Workday. But what you really need to know about Liz is how she navigated so much uncertainty all at once at a time when she had no idea how to navigate it all. So listen in as she highlights three specific things that we can all do. Three things that helped her to reshape how work shows up in her life today and led her to create the life that she most wants. Check it out.
1: Liz, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be
0: here with you today. I have high, high hopes for this. I think this is going to be so good and so resonate with so many people. So Give us some context. Tell me a little bit about the journey that got you where you are today.
1: The word that comes to my mind when I think about my career journey, but I guess that kind of speaks to me in my life, is I'm a builder. Every experience that I've had has been around building teams, being a part of building a new company in many cases building a new program initiative, something like that. And I never really would have known that had I not stumbled upon the discipline of organizational psychology when I was in undergrad many, many years ago. And so with every step along the way, career-wise, I was always looking for ways to really capitalize on this spark that was ignited in me Back in the day when I was exploring all fields of psychology, where I found psychology applied to the workplace and started to think about, wow, if we spend 70, 80, sometimes 90 percent or whatever that balance is, we spend a lot of time at work in the pursuit of work, in the pursuit of something that's, you know, impactful, meaningful in whatever way that that means for you better be a really damn good experience. And so I think everything that I have chosen as my career has twisted and turned has been about how can we build for better, build for making work a great place for everyone to be, regardless of your relationship with work. You are a builder.
0: And as your career has evolved, you now find yourself in this place where you have built a life that so suits you and your needs and your passions. And I know that that
1: flowed out of a really challenging time for you. It did. It very much did. In the fall of 2018, I was in the process of finalizing my divorce, a 16-year relationship. I was in the middle of also a job search. I was pretty ready and sort of disenchanted with my current work opportunity at the time, but I needed something different. And so with those two things together, just looked at myself and said, okay, what am I going to do? Do I stay in New York? Where do I pursue a job? Do I just go somewhere? And then I had a lot of question marks, a lot of unknowns, a lot of uncertainty. And I realized for me to continue my healing and journey through my personal change and transition, I really needed to find a work opportunity that would bring me away from New York. So I found myself doing a quick stint in uh, Utah for three months while the work process figured itself out. I was in a couple of active interview loops at the time, and both of those opportunities were bringing me back to Seattle, which is where I spent many years. And so I moved out to Seattle. It was the beginning of 2020, but I arrived in Seattle, had accepted my job offer two weeks into getting furniture, assembling my apartment, like trying to get settled, pandemic hit shut everything down. So here I was in a familiar city where I felt kind of held and cared for just because of the familiarity. But I had really no established relationships and was pretty much by myself for the first time ever in my life. So it was very unsettling, just completely unknown territory i felt like i was in no man's land
0: well and probably for a
1: while like how long were you sitting in that feeling i think once the adrenaline worn off the move the settling the starting a new job i was here in february 2020 and then i don't think it hit me until maybe april or may and it hit me really really hard i felt very alone i felt pretty scared honestly Maybe sometimes I acted like I went at life alone, but I was never alone in life. And I felt really exposed by that. I'm a pretty strong person, very strong-willed, not afraid of challenges, clearly not afraid of making changes in my life, you know, when I need to make changes. My confidence started to waver. That confidence that I had at work, the confidence that I bring into hard things I want to tackle, it really started to waver. And I've never felt like that ever before. I started to second guess myself a lot. And at a
0: time where the external world, there's so much unknown. If I think about April, May of 2020, it's not like there was this light at the end of the tunnel. There was so much question surrounding everything about work and medicine and all the political noise. So,
1: how did you navigate that? I get so energized by relationships. I don't need a lot of alone time. I'm like, give me a couple hours to rejuvenate, to do my thing. That is enough. Having that much solo time was not good for me. And so I was one of those people that I truly thrived in like any amount of FaceTime, Zoom meetings, happy hour hangouts, connections with friends, you know, back East. Any amount of that that I could do was what I needed to do. I was in therapy making sure that I had that support and I needed that support, not just from all of those things that you mentioned around the uncertainty of the pandemic, but all of this healing that I was trying to do through understanding my relationship that had shaped so much of me and trying to rediscover who do I want to be, how do I want to be, really leaned into that. And I think each day focusing on what's one relationship, what's one conversation. Or a work conversation, started to reach out to people I hadn't even talked to in a really long time, like rekindling certain things. And that's just something that I know about myself. And I was like, I cannot let this go. I cannot let this fall to the wayside. It's going to be part of that medicine that takes me through. Did the new job help with that? It did a little bit because um, actually my manager at the time, she was my very first manager ever in my career. So it helped a little bit. Again, with that familiarity of I have people around me. I worked with her for six years while I was in grad school, and she was such a pinnacle person for me to learn from, to grow as a professional young woman at the time. That made me feel comforted. I had that support. The job itself wasn't giving me that thing that I needed, you know, the contents of it. But I felt comfortable with her and I felt really safe to also share a lot of my personal stuff that was going on because of the relationship that I had with her until that point.
0: Well, and when I asked you about a pivotal moment in your life that taught you a lot about yourself and your leadership, you went to this time immediately and said, for sure. And I was so struck when you said navigating all of this really helped you to define your relationship with work and to create the life that you want. And what does that even mean? Like, what do you mean by your relationship with work? Because relationships are huge for you. We've already established that.
1: I think what had happened at that time was I had a huge part of my life shift. This part of my identity of being in a relationship, being a spouse, being a life partner, that really shaped a lot of who I was because I was with my partner for a really long time and from a young age. And then when I found this new opportunity, kind of starting to take new steps into this next chapter of just Liz, I was like, okay, yeah, new job, some familiarity, great individual who's gonna be my boss again. The job really wasn't giving me what I needed. And if I was honest, I don't know if even if it was, if I could give that much to it anyway, given all of the other mind share that was being spent on my emotional and mental well being. I remember Sitting at my desk in my apartment at the time, and I had this shit moment of this piece of my life that is so formative to my identity. This relationship is gone. What am I taking from that? I'm uncovering and excavating a lot of that through therapy. This job isn't really quite what I wanted. What if I lost my job tomorrow? Like so many people around me are losing their jobs. I was terrified. I don't know what's left of me if I don't have that identity from my job. There was so much external fulfillment of my identity rather than identity is inside. And I didn't know what it was. I couldn't articulate it. It really scared me. Sometimes still scares me because I'm still working through some of it. When I had that oh shit moment, I thought to myself, I got to figure out how do I want work to show up in my life? What is its meaning to me? Who is Liz and how do I want to be? Because I also think I pursued a lot of things related to work as filler to escape things, to not pay attention to maybe the more important things in my life.
0: It's really flipping the traditional relationship with work on its head. Just asking that question how do I want work to show up in my life? It's such an empowering question, and it's so different than the traditional view. That I think even the question can feel so foreign to people because of what you describe, because of how our identity is in our work. I am fill in the blank. That is my role versus I'm just Liz. And based on Liz's values and
1: dreams, what's the work situation that most aligns with that? You think about it. You meet somebody for the first time. What do you do? That's usually the first question we ask. We also interpret it as a work answer many times, right? Or a professional answer. At that same time, I think what helped me start to even ask that question that you just reflected back to me was I found coaching. So I went through my coach training program and having that experience helped me to start asking more questions, asking better questions. I always thought I was good at asking questions But until you actually, I think, start really practicing the skill sets that are related to coaching, it made me better at my job. It made me better as a manager. It made me more discerning and to show up better in my relationships that I valued so much. Finding coaching really helped me really start to think about and build more tools in my toolbox to start to understand how to go about answering that question.
0: Yeah, I remember when we were talking previously You were telling me about what coaching started to unlock for you. And you said, I felt like suddenly I knew something new. What I so appreciate about that is I feel like that's the unfolding process that happens in coaching is, isn't that what we're doing? We're peeling back the layers and discovering new parts of ourselves. So you started to apply those coaching skills
1: to your life, to what you wanted. I did. It was new for me in two ways one, the practice of learning something new. I was like, wow, this is an area of my professional work that I've not even tapped into. So that was rejuvenating even of itself. Like I was kind of in that mode of like, oh, I'm doing this for myself, but I'm also like observer, practitioner, and trying to dissect it from like a learning mode. Working with my coach, who I'm now re-engaged with and working with again, we started to talk about values. That was something we talked about when we were chatting a month or so ago. And as I started to go through the process and think about my healing is on its path, my personal healing, I'm feeling more grounded. I'm starting to settle a little bit. I'm finding my feet. Perhaps I need to start fulfilling and thinking about reworking this professional thing where I am right now. The job that I had joined when I first got to Seattle wasn't quite what I needed. And I thought, wow, let me find something that's connected to coaching. It unlocked so many new things. I got to dive into the science of it and really start to understand the power of it. I was practicing it. And then I started coaching other people. I started applying it more in how I was leading my team. This is a space I want to be in. This is meaningful. This has this extra thing on top of it. And my coach asked me, well, let's really talk about, though, how are you going to evaluate opportunities? How are you going to evaluate the kinds of companies you want to go to? How are you going to evaluate whether or not, if you're going to make a pivot, it makes sense for you? I think I always knew what my values were. I never really wrote them down and never like did the exercise to get clarity on, I can name something, but what does it mean? We might have the same value in the word, but it could mean something very different to the two of us. And I know that
0: you and I both have our values written on a post-it note right here, visible in front of us. Because neither of us have them written there because we don't know what they are. We have them written there as a daily personal reminder. Because I can always ask myself, regardless of context or challenge, what would positivity, integrity, service, and connection do right now? Like The personifying my values has been so helpful for me. If they were here
1: in person form, what would they do? I love that word, the personifying of it, because that's exactly what my coach said to me. She was like, you have five written down for you. What if they each got a vote? How would they vote? And I was like, oh, I never thought of it that way. That is a technique I've brought into my own practice, my own clients. It gave them life. Whether it's personal values, organizational values, they're not just the things on the wall. How do you breathe life into them? How do you make them come to life? How do they serve the purpose? of why you wrote them down in the first place. What if they each
0: got a vote? I'm gonna cast votes for my values. Knowing your values, writing them down, bringing them to life, that's been a big part of helping you to reshape your relationship with work. I know that another thing that has been really helpful for you through that process is really discerning whose feedback and opinions matter. Because there's so many people that want to advise and guide with good intention. feel like right now, Liz, I need to hear this because I feel like I'm getting lots of unsolicited advice right now. And I'm perpetually thinking, like, thank you for the feedback. And then thinking to myself, like, I'm going to tuck that away and I'm going to do what I want to do. How have you learned to discern, like,
1: whose feedback matters? I think to your point, one, I look at all of whether it's unsolicited or not. I try to look at feedback or advice as it's information. I don't even put the labels of feedback on it or advice because they can carry their own connotation. Like, okay, this is information. And what do I do with information? I look at it and I figure out how will this serve me or how could this serve me? So I think that's the first thing I do is I just reframe it regardless of who it's coming from as information, data that I can or cannot use depending on what it is ahead of me and how that aligns, then what information do I really pay attention to? I think about what voice is it coming from? Is it coming from a voice that I admire, that I respect? Is it coming from a voice or a place of care and compassion? It has to do with where are those relationships? Is it coming from a totally different devil's advocate point of view that I might not want to hear, but I might need to hear it? And then I use my values against that, right? You talk about casting a vote. One of my values is honesty. So if I look at my information that's coming to me and I say, well, I might not be ready for that, but if my values had to cast a vote as to whether or not that's important, honesty would probably say, yeah, that's important to listen to or even consider. Just hear it again. So I think they play with each other. And I think then The last thing I'll say about that is how to discern is I'm getting more comfortable with what does my intuition say about it, which can be hard. We say trust your gut, but we know a lot and that intuition, that gut instinct is usually pretty spot on and we should honor that. How can you tell the difference between
0: your gut, your intuition and ego or pride? How does it feel different to you and
1: your body? There's different types of knowing. Right? You have like mind knowing, the logical part. You have this like emotional knowing. You have this body knowing. You can feel things and they're not always on alignment. And one usually manifests before it gets to other places. And then when all of them are in alignment, you kind of really know. I have body knowing. That's the first thing that's ignited in me. You can call it lots of things, that spidey sense, whatever. I feel things in my body way before I'm able to articulate it logically or in verbal form. And to me, that really is not ego. I think it's because I have an attunement to how things resonate, how information coming in, how experiences resonate with me because I feel it first. Perhaps if it happened in the different order, if it was more kind of mind knowing and more logical, and I might not be able to tell really the difference between pride or ego because I might have the answer already or I might have that response. That's just something about how my process typically is. And it's such a personal thing,
0: isn't it? I so appreciate how your response was so personal because it is a process of really tuning in with yourself and how you're feeling and paying attention. And that doesn't happen overnight, does it? It's like coming to trust ourselves and paying attention. And I've had to like really mess it up to realize, oh, I know how my gut was sending, or my intuition was sending me messages that I disregarded. And I know what
1: that felt like. And I can pay attention to that in the future. I also think for me, when you talk about it's personal, younger Liz, I would say it was a lot of ego and pride of, I know the answers. I know how to respond. And there's something so powerful about when you talk about like power applause or just taking a beat. I think when we're too quick, to respond with something. It can be that maybe ego's coming into play, but perhaps we just need to take a moment to really let something sit and simmer. And I think I like to listen more. And it's not just listening to other people or allowing information to come in. It's just listening to myself and listening to this information that's happening in here. It's so funny that you say this because I just
0: a minute ago, I was feeling like I really appreciated the cadence of our conversation. It feels very thoughtful. And even I think historically as a podcast host, I've been like, oh, there can't be any white space. There can't be any dead space. But no, I mean, let's let words sit and simmer a bit and give the people that are listening to us an opportunity to really feel the words that we're putting out. There's intention behind this. We're not just showing up doing this for the fun of it, but we both have whys that matter to us. Giving, honoring that and giving it the space that it deserves. When you can
1: take a breath and you can let something sit, that's actually where we absorb and we learn. And that it's not awkward. It's actually really, really valuable.
0: So now let's just have a lot of awkward silence. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, I can make it awkward unnecessarily. The body knowing and considering the relationship, and intuitively, how do I feel about this person and this feedback that I'm being given? So, there's one final thing. So, three things that helped you to reshape your relationship with work. We talked about the values, we talked about being careful about whose feedback and opinion you're taking on. The third thing that you shared with me previously is how you have reframed success and failure.
1: I think many. Overachieving or very high achievement orientation individuals having goals, achieving the goals. That was always the ultimate, right? It was the measurement stick of did I succeed? Did I hit that? Did I miss the mark or fail? And think the first test of, Oh my goodness. Well, I had that goal and it's just really not going where I want it to go. Case in point, here I am 2020 in February, boom, back across the country all these things. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, what do I do now? I think that was the first time like I didn't quote unquote achieve the goal that I had for myself. But as I started therapy and exploring coaching, like it just all these alchemy of things that were happening over the first year, year and a half that I was navigating this path and this new path, it really started to flip the script on me to truly not to sound cliche but to appreciate the process and the path it is so important to have goals a direction you know whatever those things are and for them to be fairly well defined right so we can make informed choices to to get on that path but when you're so invested in that outcome and in that goal that being the definition of success and failure You're probably going to fail every time because the best laid plans very rarely unfold in exactly the way that we think we're going to get there. And I just I had like slap in the face and slap in the face over and over again these past three years where that's important. Yes, but you have to be open and flexible and really care about success and failure being more defined by the journey that you're on and more defined by The successive steps along the way. And what if there also is no such thing as failure? It's pivots in reshaping and reframing. So that's a work in progress.
0: I hear a lot and talk a lot about not being so attached to the outcome. Enjoy the process. Be grateful for the journey. Is that how you do that? How do you do that practically? What does it look like, like not being attached to the outcome?
1: I think part of it is, for me, it's about when I'm defining like a goal, how hard and fast is it? Is it completely rigid or is there flexibility within it? We all grow up with these metrics of success that society tells you or families tell you and you're like, yeah, I did that. Go to college. Whoa, great. Find a partner. Okay, great. Maybe get a house. Oh, wonderful. Checking off these boxes and I don't say that those are wrong things. Those are wonderful things. I've had many of those things in my life. That's not a measurement of successful living to me. So instead, I start my year with thinking about what are the three areas that I really want to focus on? What really matters to me? And I just kind of have this loose target against it, loose goal, loose aspiration. I mean, it is practicing goal setting, I guess. It's actually breaking down that big thing. It's not about that achievement of that, but what's the little steps along the way that I have to start taking anyway to even get on the path toward that? And really celebrate those small things. I'm, for example, finally dedicating time to learning span. And I could say, "Well, once I learn it, okay, once I get carry a conversation, that's success. No. that doing my 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes of speaking, kind of exercising those muscles, when I go to my Mexican restaurant and my train order in Spanish, like those little things, that's success. I'm putting those things into practice. I'm not waiting for the big splash to celebrate. It's not about the ultimate outcome. It's about those little achievements along the way.
0: I love that. Makes me think of that. I love Atomic Habits, James Clear. Oh, there's so much brilliance just packaged in such a great way in that book. At some point in the book, he says, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our habits. So I think of those small wins as like, what are the little things? So here are the three big areas I want to focus on. And then every day asking yourself, what can I do today to get closer to that? That's huge because I was going to ask you for some coaching on something that hasn't happened. And now I can see in my head where I'm getting in my way. I want to do a lot more international travel. I started my career in a global firm and I traveled internationally, and I really miss that. And I still get an opportunity here or there, but not like I did. So created a vision board of all the places that I wanted to go this year. And I did get to some a couple of really cool locations, but they're almost like trips I already had planned. Santiago, Chile, I'd never been there, and my daughter was studying there, so I wanted to get there this summer, and we did. And, but I also, like, I really want to get back to London because I have great friends in London. I used to work in that city a lot. I miss it. So I had London on my vision board and even talked about all year how I was going to London at some point in the year. And it didn't happen. And so I'm finding myself a little bit like, where did I go wrong? Like, why did that not happen? And so, first of all, wasn't really focused on it. I had so many things that were vying for my attention. You said three big things, not 15 or 20. But then also, I think I was attached to, like, I've got to go to London versus broader and just a little more nimble. And I think there was some angst behind it. Like, i got to do this. Not going to be helpful to helping to track
1: that into my life. No, you end up feeling worse about it. And despite all the other things that you did. All right. That's so good.
0: Thank you for that coaching. Isn't that what we do? We get so down on ourselves. And rather than saying, oh my gosh, I went to Santiago. How cool
1: was that, that I got to experience that in a whole new place? It is wonderful to have that. But yeah, don't beat yourself up about it. I'm all about progress, not perfection. And so I think that's another thing that helps like release in the reframe of success and failure. I don't believe in perfection, but it's about progress. And we don't take the time to celebrate progress. We just don't. I mean, our brains aren't naturally like attuned to it. I've been wired for it. And I think when we're in our professions, right? I mean, the work you do, Andrea, like we're there to always look for how to improve, how to do it better, how to, how to, how to, to, right? Because that's just what we do. That is what we do. But in order to improve, we also have to see like, what did we do? How are we getting there along the way? And that gives you so much momentum. It's
0: energy. Yes. It's energy that gets you on a roll. That's where success is born. That's where growth happens, which is why your story is one that so resonates. Is because out of this really dark season emerged something so beautiful and so good. Isn't it interesting? I've been so fortunate now to have this conversation with over 160 executives and leaders. Tell me about a pivotal moment. And it's never, let me tell you about this really great thing usually comes out of a lot of hardship. It is the shit of life that teaches us. That's where the growth happens. So thank you for being so vulnerable. Thank you for reminding us of the power in having your values, having something to cast a vote for, knowing who to let speak into your life and how best to discern when it's the right message. It's something you really need to hear. And then reframing, like how powerful our minds are that we make the meaning. We make the meaning of it all, don't we? Gosh, that's so empowering. Any story, I can tell it however I want to tell
1: it. I get to make the meaning of it. Let me thank you. And just having the opportunity to talk, connect. Share both of our stories. So grateful to have learned so much about you as well in this conversation. I'll tell
0: our listeners that before we hit record when we were sharing our intentions for this conversation, I immediately had all this emotion well up. And I so trust that. I know we're on to something, that this is valuable. It's real. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your heart. I so appreciate you. If our listeners want to connect with you,
1: where's the best way to find Liz? On LinkedIn, I think, where most other people go, but that is where you find me, Liz Pavesi. Awesome. Thank you, my friend.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story.